It's Sunday, March 10th. I'm Mercedes Stevenson, and you're listening to the West Walk Podcast. Here's what's making headlines this week. When you boil it all down, all we ever asked the Attorney General to do was to consider a second opinion. There was an erosion of trust between my office and specifically my former principal secretary and the former Minister of Justice and Attorney General. I was not aware of that erosion of trust. As Prime Minister and leader of the federal ministry, I should have been. Two weeks ago, after Ms. Wilson-Raybould's detailed and compelling testimony to the Justice Committee, I called on Justin Trudeau to resign. I stand by that call today. A Prime Minister who can't manage his own office, let alone the affairs of a great nation. There is a company that reached out directly to the Prime Minister's office to get laws changed, criminal laws changed, so that they would be off the hook and off of criminal responsibility. All of this cuts to the core of what democracy should not be. Last week, Canadians heard from Gerald Butts, the former principal secretary to the Prime Minister. And the very next day, Justin Trudeau held a press conference not to apologize, but to acknowledge lessons learned in the SNC-Lavalin affair. Today, we'll hear from both the government and the opposition on this issue, which has been dominating the headlines. Plus, we'll have some analysis for you on how to best handle the political crisis. It has been another explosive week in Ottawa as the SNC-Lavalin scandal continues to grow, with a second high-profile minister resigning from cabinet and the prime minister refusing to apologize for his handling of the controversy. Last week, the prime minister's former principal secretary, Gerald Butts, gave his side of the story to the Justice Committee, rebutting what former Attorney General Jody Wilson-Raybould alleged, that the Trudeau government made a sustained and consistent effort over months to inappropriately pressure her for political and electoral reasons, asking her to stop the criminal prosecution of the Quebec-based company SNC-Lavalin. Joining me now to talk about the non-apology press conference and the allegations is the Minister of Democratic Institutions, Karina Gould, who is in Burlington today. Welcome to the show, Minister. Thanks for having me, Mercedes. The Prime Minister didn't apologize, which a lot of people were expecting him to last week. Do you think that he should have apologized, Minister Gould? Well, I think that the Prime Minister said what needed to be said in the sense that he took responsibility for the breakdown in communications between his office and that of the former Attorney General. And he talked about the fact that, you know, there is much that he can learn from from this experience and to improve on. And, you know, I think that that's, uh, that's really important. Um, and I think that, you know, that will be important for us all to move forward uh, to ensure that, you know, we're, we're reviewing how offices interact with each other and he also mentioned that he'll be bringing in external uh, experts to look at a number of things, including the breakdown in communications. But do you think that it went beyond that? Do you think that he needed to deliver an apology? No, I, I think that, you know, he's been talking about this um, the whole time from his place of understanding of what happened. And now that he's heard, you know, from uh, both Ms. wilden Raybould as well as, uh, you know, Mr. Butts and the clerk and the uh, deputy minister of justice, that, you know, he's been able to hear all different sides of the story. And, you know, his... Um, his reaction to that is to say, okay, clearly, you know, there was a breakdown in communication. Um, you know, we, we weren't necessarily communicating and understanding each other. So how do we ensure that we manage that appropriately and be able to move forward so that something like this doesn't arise again? 
Gerald Butts, the Prime Minister's former Principal Secretary, testified that he didn't believe there was a problem here until Jody Wilson-Raybould was being shuffled out of her dream job. Do you believe that she only came to the conclusion this was a problem, essentially out of sour grapes or bitterness, when she was being moved into a job she didn't want? Well, look, that's a question that Ms. Wilson-Raybould would have to answer. I wouldn't want to, uh, you know, try to think or, you know, dream of what she is uh, expressing or thinking about. Uh, that's really something that she'll have to answer. Um, I think one of the things, though, is that it's clear um, that, you know, there were a number of conversations that happened and uh, two very different perspectives of how those conversations uh, rolled out. And one of the things that I can say is that as a cabinet minister, um, you know, whenever I've asked to speak with either the Prime Minister's office or the Prime Minister, I've always gotten a response. I've always been able to have very candid conversations um, and have always felt that they've been very, very respectful. But do you think that if someone tells the Prime Minister they've made a decision, tells his staff they've made a decision repeatedly, and they still keep getting pressure to change that decision, that goes beyond what's appropriate pressure and verges into inappropriate, especially when you're talking about a criminal prosecution? Well, I think it's a really interesting question that's raised because as cabinet ministers, we face a range of pressure on many different issues every single day. And part of our responsibility and in fact our duty is to listen to different perspectives, to uh, understand and appreciate different angles because ultimately the decisions we make, it's, it's not actually about us. It's about 37 million Canadians and the impacts that it's going to have on them and their lives. And so it's, you know, it's quite normal for us to have many different discussions on any given topic because that's democracy, right? Well, we and that, be that might explain Jody really Wilson-Raybould, but how does, how does that explain Jane Philpott? She was explicit in her letter that she, letter that she said she believed the government had uh, lost her confidence in its ability to govern and that this was an issue of personal values and ethics. That seems to go beyond a breakdown in communications between Jody Wilson-Raybould and Gerald Butts. That would suggest that someone who's a very respected minister thinks that something wrong was going on here. So again, those are questions that you would have to ask Ms. Philpott because it's not up to me to uh, get inside her mind. But did, and what did she's her letter thinking. raise All concerns for you? For myself and for my and well, speak for myself and my own experience. Um, and I can say that I continue to have full confidence in the Prime Minister. And so her government. letter didn't raise any questions um, for that, you, you know, about is, staying in the government. This has actually been a very collaborative, engaging cabinet, and uh, I, you know, have tremendous confidence in my colleagues and really appreciate the the frank conversations that we're able to have. And I think that Canadians expect us to have. But her her letter minister didn't said, raise any questions these jobs for you. Are not about us. Her, her letter did not raise any uh, questions no, for you. I, I, no, because I, I can only talk about my own experience. And as I've said, you know, any time that I've sought out uh, the Prime Minister or his staff, I've always had very respectful conversations. And of course, there's moments when we disagree, um, but we talk about those things. And that's what any team does. I mean, that's, you know, we're, we're, we're running a country here. So of course, there's going to be many different perspectives and many different issues at hand. And we're constantly engaging in those conversations. That's, that's the beauty of democracy is that Minister we try to persuade each other through words and reason as opposed to force.
I'd like to ask you about something that, that is directly on your file, and that's elections. And you've talked about the importance sure. of free and fair elections, especially the one coming up. Michael Wernick uh, is supposed to sit on the committee that makes sure there's not electoral interference. But after the clerk's appearance mm -hmm. at committee, a lot of MPs are questioning his impartiality. Are you revisiting whether or not he should be a person who sits on the committee that determines whether or not there is electoral interference? So one of the reasons why we created a panel was specifically so that it wouldn't be up to any one individual. So, you know, Mr. Wernick as clerk of the Privy Council, uh, the Deputy Minister of Justice, of Global Affairs, Public Safety, and the National Security and Intelligence Advisor will all be making those deliberations together. But and should he I, I be on really that committee, Minister? To, I think it's really important to remember that, you know, these are some of Canada's top civil servants who have served governments, both liberal and conservative, so you're not revisiting whether so or not he should be on it. Incredible, incredible, incredible integrity, and you know that's why we have five people on there so that they can have those conversations because it's not um, specifically about preventing okay. foreign interference. It's we have about to wrap it. Alerting Canadians should something happen, and we do have to wrap it up there, Minister, because we're out of time. Decision. I'm sorry, I, but uh, thank you so much for your interview today. I guess you guys are not revisiting that, but we'll come back to it again in the future. Thanks for joining us. Always happy to chat. Thanks, Mercedes. Late last week, the opposition demanded an emergency meeting of the Justice Committee to have former Attorney General Jody Wilson-Raybould appear before that committee again. This after testimony last week by the Prime Minister's former Principal Secretary contradicted much of what Wilson-Raybould had said. The Justice Committee has been where the most stunning moments of this story have unfolded so far. Joining me now to answer questions about this, we have Pierre Polya for the Conservatives here in Ottawa and out in Burnaby. We have Peter Julian from the NDP. I want to know, you heard from Jody Wilson-Raybould, and people are saying, look, she came and said her piece. Why does the Justice Committee and why do opposition MPs want to see Jody Wilson-Raybould back before that committee again? Two reasons. Reason number one, uh, PCO clerk uh, Michael Wernick was invited back for a second time to contradict previous statements by the former Attorney General. Uh, some, uh, that is a courtesy that to Jody Wilson-Raybould has not been extended. And secondly, Trudeau limited what she could say. He banned her from speaking out about anything that happened after she was moved out of the role of Attorney General. And we know that there were material events that occurred leading up to her resignation, about which she has so far been banned from speaking. So what we, our, our message as Conservatives is lift the full gag order and let her complete her full testimony so Canadians know what happened. Uh, Peter, you know, when Gerald Butts appeared and when the clerk of the Privy Council appeared, they were both under the same ban. Why do you want Jody Wilson-Raybould to come back from the NDP perspective? What is it that you'd like to ask her? Well, I was in the room when she gave her very compelling testimony. Uh, it's very rare that you see somebody before a committee who just in a very honest, forthright way, answers uh, all of the questions that she could answer. But she was very careful about what she could and what she couldn't answer. And I would have to agree, I think most parliamentarians and most Canadians want to see Ms. Wilson-Raybould uh, give her full testimony and be, and be able to tell us exactly what happened 
without the gag order that Mr. Trudeau has imposed. And, and the reality is uh, she has been by far the most credible on this issue and, and how carefully she has rolled out in the evidence that she has presented. Uh, it is very important, I think, for Canadians to get to the bottom of this. We need to have her back in front of the Justice Committee. And as Jagmeet Singh has said uh, a number of times, we need to have a public inquiry into the extent of this scandal. Pierre, when Gerald Butts testified, some of what he read were text messages. It didn't sound like Jody Wilson-Raybould was very upset in those. It sounded pretty friendly. Was there anything in his testimony that raised doubts for you about whether or not the pressure was inappropriate or if she was simply being asked to reconsider? There was nothing in his testimony that caused me to think that. No. In fact, Jody Wilson-Raybould specifically says that on September 17th, she told the Prime Minister, she said, I looked the Prime Minister in the eye and asked him if he was interfering with my role as Attorney General. And he was forced to back off. Now, he and Butts go out and say, she never once raised any concerns. Well, I looked him straight in the eye and said, are you interfering with my job? Sounds like a concern to me. Neither Butts nor Trudeau have specifically denied that she said that. They just make a sweeping broad statement that she never raised any concerns. It sounds to me like Trudeau is stating a falsehood when he claims she never raised any concerns. Do you think the concerns. Prime Minister is lying? It seems that way. And he, he refuses to say whether or not the September 17th exchange happened the way she described. He, she's been asked in a press conference yesterday about that, and he just simply dodged the question. But he continually states falsehoods in this regard that we know are not true. Yesterday, another falsehood. He claimed that SNC could leave Canada altogether if prosecuted. Well, we know that's impossible because how do you know that's impossible? Because the company has a 1.5 billion dollar loan agreement with the Case de Depot requiring its headquarters stay in Montreal, where, by the way, it just signed a 20-year lease and is in the process of renovating its bureau for its 2,000 employees there. We also know that it has roughly $52 billion worth of construction contracts that have to be done in Canada. So it is completely impossible that the company would up and leave. And what I want to know is, did the Prime Minister or anyone else lie to Jody Wilson-Raybould in an attempt to force her to sign a deferred prosecution agreement uh, on the fly uh, based on false information, because okay, if they told her, but if they to get told in here, her, uh, they, they, if they told her, look, you have to sign immediately, or the company will move its headquarters, and we know that's impossible, then that would be a falsehood. But we don't know that they said that, though. So I want to give Peter. I want to give Peter have. a chance to get in here. Uh, Peter, when you look at this, you know, one of the, the elements we heard in the testimony is that there can be a deferred prosecution agreement right up basically until this ends in a trial. So why not expect the attorney general to keep an open mind until you get to that point? Isn't it a little bit premature to make a decision uh, within a few months? Well, I think the issue here is that we have a, a former attorney general who is, is very clear that she received a variety of veiled threats and uh, subsequently lost her job as Minister of Justice and Attorney General. That, that is extraordinarily bad and inappropriate behavior by the Prime Minister and the Prime Minister's office. Now, the, the jobs argument is simply a smokescreen to try to hide this inappropriate behavior because 
as every Canadian is now finding out, uh, there is a, a binding agreement with the Quebec Pension Plan that obliges uh, SNC-Lavalin to, to stay in Canada for another half decade. So that, that jobs argument is simply uh, ridiculous. It's a smokescreen. What we have is systematic uh, pressure that was put on the Attorney General in a very inappropriate way. Uh, and the reality is the decision was made. The former Attorney General was very clear in communicating that. And we had bad, inappropriate behavior uh, from a wide variety of actors in the Prime Minister's office and the Prime Minister himself. This is something that needs to be subject to the scrutiny that comes with a public inquiry. And, and that's why a number of people, including Jagmeet Singh, have called for that. Uh, Pierre, Prime Minister Harper claimed that he did not know anything about his former chief of staff cutting a $90,000 check to Mike Duffy. It's not unusual that prime ministers don't always know exactly what their political staff are doing. You seem to believe he did. You seem to believe you're very committed to this. How far are the Conservatives willing to go to force this issue? Are you willing to try to shut down Parliament? Are you willing to protest with votes? What are you going to do to try to stand up to we this? We will use every parliamentary tool in the toolkit to require the Prime Minister answer questions about the falsehoods that he appears to have stated. Um, the Prime Minister uh, once again made the phony jobs claim uh, yesterday. We know that that claim is false. So we want to know, given that it wasn't about jobs, given that he has provided no evidence that jobs would be lost, who was he really trying to protect? by shelving this okay. prosecution. We have to wrap it up there, but we'll certainly be coming back to much. it. And I appreciate both of you taking the time to be on the show today. Thank you. Good to be with you. Thank you. It's been just over a month since the SNC-Lavalin affair first broke, and it seems to just keep getting worse for the government. So how has the Prime Minister, his office, and the opposition managed the political crisis in the weeks since then? Joining me now from Toronto to discuss this is Mike Van Solen. He's worked for the Conservatives, both federally and provincially, and now he's a strategist for Navigator Limited, a consulting company based in Toronto, and you often hear Navigator's name when there's a crisis. So I'm curious to know, Mike, would you take a look at how the Prime Minister has handled this and his office, what grade would you give them? Look, uh, it has been a very bad four weeks. The fact that we're still talking about it now says the Prime Minister, uh, the Liberal government hasn't done very well. Uh, when you're in a crisis, what you want to do is you want to shut it down. You don't want a crisis to go on. Uh, you don't want it to go two days, uh, much less uh, four weeks. So that sort of speaks to where they've been. They just haven't been able to provide a narrative that satisfies Canadians, satisfies the media, the opposition, uh, to answer the questions that have been raised very credibly by Jody Wilson-Raybould. So they find themselves in a difficult situation. And the answers have been lacking, I suppose, has been judged by Canadians. And as well, the efforts to change the channel, to do a pharmacare announcement, to speak about space, haven't been enough to be game changers to move this crisis uh, to the rearview mirror. Well, and last week, a lot of people thought maybe this is the moment, maybe they're going to turn the ship when the prime minister appeared in front of a room full of journalists to give a press conference. We were told he might sound contrite. Uh, he did not seem very contrite. He did not apologize. No. Uh, he only spoke about this erosion of trust, as he called it, between the former attorney general and his former principal secretary, Gerald Butts. What should the prime minister have said if that was not enough? 
look, I think uh, the day before, Gerald Butts had at least provided sort of a credible accounting of events uh, as to what happened. And I think it was the Prime Minister's job to move to an endgame strategy. Uh, he should have, there's a couple of things he could have done. He should have said, uh, I'm, I, I think he needed an action plan. He needed to sort of drive home that this crisis, uh, it was time to change the page. So separating the roles of Attorney General and Justice Minister, uh, perhaps having uh, the current Attorney General, Mr. Lametti, say that they were not going to, no longer going to pursue a prosecution, uh, a deferred prosecution agreement. He could have uh, as well brought in a named a chief justice. He talked about having different leaders that he would consult, but why he didn't name who those individuals actually were is puzzling. And that, frankly, that he could have been contrite about some of the mistakes that had been made. And we didn't hear that from the Prime Minister uh, on the day. So uh, really, he went back to the same story they've been telling all along, which hadn't worked for four weeks. So it's hard to understand why they thought it would work on this morning. Do you think that he has to say the words, I'm sorry, or I apologize, or does he have to fire senior people to make this go away? I think he almost has to do all of it. Uh, I think he should let the clerk of the Privy Council go, whose performance has been panned, I think, by everybody who's watched it. He needs to be contrite because clearly the country has been thrown into a bit of chaos for the last four weeks uh, as a result of this. And some big, pretty big issues, questions of rule of law, the metting out of justice, the separation between the political and the judicial spheres of government. Um, I, think, uh, I think he needed to present an action plan to show that he's taking it seriously, that he's uh, contrite, recognizes the mistakes where they've been made, and then ask Canadians if they're ready to move on uh, from this matter. How do you think the opposition has done on this? I mean, Andrew Scheer came out uh, and he called for a police investigation, but then he went all the way towards saying the prime minister should resign. Did he jump the shark there a bit in going with the resignation that soon? Uh, there was risk that he did uh, get over his skis and asking for the resignation as early as he did. But uh, the, the truth is that the government needed to shut down the crisis. If the next day the government had tied a nice bow on it, presented a narrative that made sense, and Canadians were ready to move on, then I think uh, Andrew Scheer would have looked like he'd gotten ahead of himself in calling for the resignation so early. But given he asked for the resignation almost two weeks ago, the crisis continues, I think it looks like a good move by Andrew Scheer. Uh, Jagmeet Singh has been, you know, sort of absent, absent on this crisis. I think he's still finding his feet around, uh, around Ottawa. Uh, some of his uh, committee members have done a pretty good job of prosecuting uh, the different people who've come to committee. Uh, but uh, really, it's been uh, Andrew Scheer and uh, Lisa Raitt and Pierre Polyev who've also, I think, sort of uh, been the leaders in prosecuting the government on this file. What advice would you give to the Prime Minister and what advice would you give to the opposition in the weeks ahead? Uh, for the Prime Minister, I think he needs to come up with the end game strategy. How is he going to tie a bow around this? How is he going to answer the questions that le are left unsettled? How is he going to say it in a way that gives Canadians confidence? Uh, he understands the gravity of the charges that have been made, that he's taking it seriously, that they, I, I imagine Canadians would like to move on from the story themselves. So he needs to present a plausible story and explanation of what they're doing, uh, what happened, and show that he's ready to move forward. The opposition, I think uh, it's in their interest to keep prosecuting the government on this. There's a lot of questions that are unsettled. Uh, there's, uh, there's a real demand now for Jody Wilson-Raybould to come back because Jerry Butts got into 
uh, parts of the timeline that she hasn't been able to speak to. So I expect the opposition will continue to persecute the government, uh, sorry, prosecute the government on this matter. And as long as they can keep this story alive, that's exactly what they will do. Mike, in terms of political scandals, we've gotten used to what we're seeing south of the border. Donald Trump, it seems to be one after the other. Canadians weren't used to seeing it up here. And now you have this big scandal that's making international headlines. How do you think what we're seeing here resonates with Canadians after what they've seen, for example, Theresa May go through and uh, Angela Merkel or Donald Trump south of the border? Yeah, look, the truth is the Trudeau government had such a long honeymoon. In, in many ways, their first three years were some of the easiest and, and most popular we've seen in, in recent history. So for the government and Canadians now to have a government that's in crisis is, is almost uh, foreign to us. At least it's not part of recent memory. Uh, of course, in the United States, uh, there's been crisis. I mean, since Donald Trump was nominated to be the Republican candidate, uh, ultimately one election became president, uh, crisis has surrounded that administration. It almost seems that Donald Trump himself relishes it. Um, I, I think Canadians have thought of themselves as a, a little bit better. Have, have, we like our, our style of government, the Westminster system. Uh, we're not interested in having crisis uh, ongoing 24-7 the way we see it in the, in the United States. So this is new, you know, and I think in many respects Canadians would be happy to move on from, from the crisis we're in. And that's where if the Prime Minister could present a credible answer as to what's going on, uh, I think Canadians in many respects would be happy to move on from, from what's going, uh, from, from this scandal. Uh, but, uh, you know, the Prime Minister as yet hasn't been able to present an endgame strategy to get out of it. Uh, so, yeah, those comparisons about what's going on in the United States, uh, you know, I understand and, and we find ourselves very much in the same situation that uh, that the president is there. Questions of justice, questions about government, uh, questions about separation of the different spheres. So uh, there are parallels to be drawn for sure. Well, you know, you never hear President Trump apologize. So has his no. lesson to other politicians like Justin Trudeau been just drown it out, keep going, keep making news, ignore it, never say you're sorry because that's a sign of weakness? Well, I think that works for Donald Trump because that's been his brand all along. He's a brash populist. Uh, he's uh, smashed uh, political conventions from day one. Uh, I'm not sure that Justin Trudeau could adopt that style. I don't think it, uh, you know, one, I think for the president, it's authentic. Uh, that is who he is. For the prime minister to sort of move into that sphere, uh, into that personality type, I don't think could possibly come across as, as authentic. So that's why that tactic isn't going to work for him. Um, the uh, you know the truth is Donald Trump has survived probably 25 scandals that would have taken any one of those would have taken down a previous president. So uh, his ability to kind of be the Teflon Don of presidents is is quite remarkable. One of the arguments that I've seen out there a lot is, you know, if you look at the International Corruption Index, Canada does very well. Canada is not a corrupt country. This is a one-off. It's just a debate. It's just an argument. You see a lot of liberals who put that out there. The Conservatives criticize it and say it's not about being relative to other countries. But at the end of the day, when we're so surrounded all the time by international news, do you think that Canadians hold the Canadian government to a standard compared to other governments like Donald Trump, or do they hold them to a Canadian standard here at home? 
I, I think there's a Canadian sensibility uh, that sort of guides what's happening in the domestic market. I think, you know, there's a smugness to Canadians. Uh, I'm, I'm uh, guilty of it at times. Where we think we're a little better, where there's a little more decorum in how we conduct our, ourselves. Uh, so I, I don't think we're ready to offer, uh, apply the same rules uh, to the Canadian government and our expectations of government that we, uh, we imagine, I guess, exist in other jurisdictions. Um, you know, there's still a Presbyterian nature to to this country, uh, to how we uh, to how we govern, how we talk to each other, how we how the media interacts with government, I, I think as well. So uh, yeah, we, we see ourselves as different. As different, uh, I believe we we conduct ourselves differently, and we don't want to sort of go down that path of that Amer brash American style politics uh, in Canada. Mike, thank you so much for joining us today. Great to be here, Mercedes. Thank you. That's our show for today. Thanks for listening. I'm Mercedes Stevenson for The West Block. For more, go to our website, thewestblock.ca. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Have a great week.